guys are hilarious. I was looking at some of the comments for the show, and one of said, true crime is just conspiracy theory for girls. Greetings! I'm your host, Jason Miles, and welcome to another episode of This is Revolution Podcast. Quickly, before we get started, please hit like. Don't forget to hit subscribe, and also the notification bell so you're alerted whenever we go live. And we're constantly adding new shows and doing live streams with channels. As always, thank you to all the subscribers on YouTube and Twitch, and the audio-only podcast formats you find us on. Also, also, thank you to all the patrons. Collectively, you are the fuel and the engine that keeps TIR moving along. So if you're enjoying what we do here and want access to the post-show champagne room, which we will be going into this evening, and we will open up the phone lines. Oh, yes. The phone lines will be open in the champagne room. And again, you guys were in the champagne room. They got taken down last Tuesday. Talked to Toussaint today. She just shook her head. And I told her everybody. She shook her head. I said, you know, I've heard about that. She was like, oh. But I've been reading your guys' comments on it. It's been hilarious. I don't know if we can replicate it tonight. But again, I'm opening the phone lines. You guys are hilarious enough in the comments. Certainly will be entertaining on the phone lines. But if you want access to the Champagne Room, see Champagne Room's past and present. If you want to listen to the Champagne Room on the audio only, Apple Podcasts, like subscribe to the as little as three dollars a month or thirty dollars for the year and access to champagne in the past and present be part of the live studio audience for the pascal questioning the usefulness of multipolarity many people's favorite of the show dr paul cone and you can also join us for movie night Surprise! How many people had not seen Nightmare on Elm Street Part Three? Also, for people that like the show, I finally put it on Spotify. I put that whole album on Spotify. Spotify has a new feature now where they no longer take your own down off YouTube to collect royalties. So. There you go. Also, tickets are on sale for the live book launch and meet and greet. November 18th, wherever you're watching the show or listening to the show, there are links in the description. And there's only a limited amount of tickets because we're doing it in a small, intimate place. Uh, Chris Contos from Machine Head, Craig LoCicero from Forbidden Death, Rick Hinault from Exodus. And I don't know who else is going to show up. There's also some other people that said they want to come. The hell of people are excited about this, about the talk that we're going to have. Uh, we will be taking questions from uh, our small, intimate audience uh, after a short panel discussion. There's going to be a lot of fun mingling. So, again, wherever you're watching or listening to the show, tickets are on sale. Now, with all that out of the way, let me bring Usually, she comes here and hangs out with us on the weekend. 
and she's hanging out with just me. So you guys get a very, very, very small glimpse of what this woman has to deal with being on social media. Please welcome comedian Taylor Martin. Hey, um, I am going to say, I think you might be, you might have the wrong mic, buddy. I think Why? maybe you're, I, because, you, yeah, you found, you sound like you're in a tin can. Oh, that's weird. Yeah. Huh. Is I just, on the right mic? Okay. I just wanted you to know, just, I didn't want your audio to be messed hey. up. Oh, I don't know why the thing is so low. That's weird. It says I'm on the right mic. Okay, cool. Well, here, be entertaining while I try to figure it out. Okay, sounds good. Hey, everybody. Um, I'm Taylor. I am from the Ozarks. Um, if I could tell you anything right now, um, that, yeah, I do agree, Charles. I think it might be your headphone mic. Um, but then also, um, Ozark Circle for Choice is a mutual aid organization that is helping um, ensure abortion access in the Ozarks. We help people with travel, um, meeting financial goals. Um, we help with any anything that people might need when they're getting an abortion. Um, and there's no like turfy bullshit here. Like just anybody who needs reproductive care, um, we want to do it. Um, we're on- Do I sound different now? Yeah, you sound much better. You sound like you're. we're in the same room. That's so weird. Yeah. Sorry, go go ahead. Talk about abortions. Uh, <laughs> hell yeah, abortions, baby. Um, but uh, abortion should be safe and accessible to everybody, and that's what we believe. Um, so if you are looking uh, to help out a red state um, that is uh, doing uh, helping abortion care, Ozark Circle for Choice on Instagram. Um, a lot of ways to help out. We appreciate anything. Um, somebody says, uh, hey, Taylor, I saw Dune is releasing a Lego set or L Lego's releasing a Dune set. I did see that. Um, unfortunately, I suck at doing miniatures and <laughs> I wish I wished I had the personality for it. But they do have one of the little miniature Baron Harkonnens. And I'm going to see if I can just buy that. And you're talking about the remake of Dune, not the 84 Dune, because you won't watch the 84 Dune. It's. No, I'm I'm not I'm not watching. It's unwatchable. It is just it's not Okay. Oh, now I've upset Jason the one. You haven't one. upset a damn thing. I have no opinion on dude. I'm just saying you you're throwing Molotovs into Here's the, the thing. library right I'm, now. I'm I'm a Lynch fan. I'm a huge David Lynch fan and that it's just it's not a good Dune adaptation. It's it's a hard thing to do right and I, there were a lot of a lot of things wrong with that, but one day we're going to get Dune Part 2. Look, nothing is cooler than uh, Sting in that movie. Yeah. No? You don't think so? No. Or are you just one of those, like, it's just not true enough to the to the essence of the book? It just does, like, here's the thing. Dune is, it's really hard to understand when you're reading the book. And um, the night, like, it just, you don't, and like, when you watch lynch's version of it it is just so much more confusing like i it was un, to be fair it was underfunded they did not give david lynch total creative control there were a lot of things that were done um wrong with that and it just doesn't hit for me um somebody said dune is almost entirely info dumping yeah it is and now I, I, yeah. this is this is how i've been for the last six months when i got 
deeply depressed and read all of the Dune books. Jesus. <laughs> I mean, the the Dune intro is like eight minutes, right? Yeah. That's a long intro. Mm-hmm. To attempt to tell you what the hell you're seeing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm so sorry that I have spun another conversation off no, into no, Dune. Hey, that's fine. <laughs> that's what people came here for. They came here. They saw you were here. And you see, you didn't start the Dune talk. Just remember that. Yeah. You're just this replying time. to the people. You're like, this time. As she twirls her mustache. We, <laughs> we all watch or listen to true crime podcasts uh or or watch true crime shows if you're too cool for school and don't bother with it for whatever reason you still know someone who does indulge themselves in the titillating macabre details of murders solved and unsolved tales of serial killers and tragic suburban murders of families or children uh take the media fascination around the killing of young jean benet ramsey but why are we so addicted to this dark, gruesome genre? Every year, there's a new documentary on Charles Manson or a humanizing tale of someone like Jeffrey Dahmer, Ted Bundy, Richard Ramirez. And we can't forget the countless tales of murders uh, that may not have the same fanfare as serial crime, but tends to happen to a middle-class family in the safe confines of a suburban setting. How does our consumption of true of the true crime genre affect the way we understand criminal motivations and the justice system? How do we understand forensic science? How does it influence the way we comprehend guilt, innocence, and justice? To discuss this with me, I have my good friend and true crime aficionado, Taylor Hearn. Taylor, you and I were talking about how we were going to discuss this because we had mm -hmm. a true crime show the other day. Um, and you said, let's talk about the origins of true crime. And you just jumped out with, you you said the name of the murders. I didn't remember the name, but I know the name of the book, Truman Capote's In Cold Blood. And there's also a movie. There's a movie that it was in the fifties or sixties in cold blood, I think. Yeah. And then the, um, Capote starring, um, uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman was based around a lot of his time, uh, investigating and writing that book. Um, why do you think that story is the catalyst for modern day true crime? And, you know, what is it that about that story that resonates with people in your opinion? You know, I think there's a lot that goes into it. Um, you know, it was far from the first book or, you know, novel or whatever you want to call it written about true crime. But I think part of what um, like drew people to that was the fact that it was like this like white Lutheran family and just seemingly like out of nowhere and for nothing. You know, they were like everything. I think like the girl was like in, like about to get engaged. She's like a senior in high school. And she's like either engaged or about to get engaged to her like Catholic boyfriend. And that's like the biggest drama like this family has. And like <laughs> they they are just like very like middle class, um, uh, just like people on the farm. And and I think what drew people in was I think a lot of people that maybe hadn't I don't know, had identified as much in true crime, um, really looked in and was like, oh, like this could, this could happen to me. And I, I do think like we see kind of like a rise in like that paranoia 
mm-hmm. that I think we have kind of like hit fever pitch like right now in the current day of, oh, it could happen to me. And I think that's why people latched onto that story. And another reason I think so um, that I don't think could be discounted, it's a really, it's a good book. It's well-written um, and it does, I think, appeal to more of like your human, you know, your I think your human nature to like try to be forgiving or try to find the understanding and why people do what they do. Which gets into my next question. Uh, in the book, In Cold Blood, uh, Capote wants to elicit sympathy for the murderers and not portray them simply as monsters. Why do you think the true crime genre has gotten so far away from attempting to tell the totality of the story and not just villainizing the uh, the killers? You know, I I think the more people have like felt out of control in their real lives hmm. of w- work and home life and all these i think the more that people feel they can't control that anymore which i think is a feeling that we can all relate to it's like i think i was talking to you the other day like i was so thankful that i was just like able to work from home for one day because i was just like kind of feeling shitty and like when you say that sentence out loud that's insane like if i'm feeling shitty i should just be able to like take the day off because i have a fake email job and nothing really matters um not to get like too nihilistic about it but i think I think that like people now need someone to blame. And I think mm-hmm. that is just, I, I think that's a rise. Like also maybe like post nine 11, um, we mm. need a bad guy and we need somebody to blame. And I, yeah. So I, I think maybe that's just, uh, uh, we have just evolved to needing someone to blame for things and we need them and we need them to be all bad because we don't want to, I think a lot of us are feel so overwhelmed Mm-hmm. That like we don't we don't want to have to like actually have to search out to be like oh hey like this is this person's bad but like or what this person did was bad but is this person fully bad because that's a, a hard thing to have to think through you know that's interesting um, do you think there's something to be said about the fascination with protecting middle class security because a lot of the stories that we hear don't really you know there's serial killers that have racked up excuse me insane numbers but they're murdering prostitutes mm-hmm. um doesn't get the same fanfare there was a series um that I, I don't know if we talked about this or i don't know if you saw it, murder in the bayou i haven't seen it now see uh <laughs> see. but it, it takes place in a in I can't stand you. <laughs> hey. look i'm gonna be a douche the whole show yeah i figured um but this gentleman killed a good number of women that were all poor uh came from poor and working class families in like bad areas and I had a I I won't get into it, but yeah, it was it was a, it scared the bejesus out of me watching the whole thing because I, I don't mm-hmm. think he ever gets caught. I, I don't I don't remember if I watched it all the way through because once I realized who the guy was, it was one of the things where I just turned it off because it got too real. Yeah. Um, but uh, that doesn't seem to resonate the same way. And there's another killer I, I want to say in Cleveland. He was somewhere in the Midwest. I thought that it killed like you know some insane amount. Of, of sex workers out there and a lot of them were you know 
bad neighbor. They were you know, drug addicted streetwalkers. So a lot of people didn't mind. Uh, they interviewed one person that had owned a convenience store across from where the murders happened. And he was like, mm, I didn't mind the guy. He was, he, what did he say? He said he was taking out the trash. It was kind of a kind of frightening thing to hear a human say about other humans. But there's something about the way we get all huddled around the screen when it's about some some one-off crime in a suburb or a serial killer like a Richard Ramirez mm-hmm. or a Ted Bundy. And, you know, what is it about these people that we always have to make them into superstars in some sort of weird way as well? Yeah. Uh, on the first part of, like, why do these cases, like, uh, of you know, like middle class, like blonde white girls, like that's you know even Nancy Grace, which oh. I I watched a lot of Nancy Grace with my mima, um, and <laughs> we have some opinions, mm-hmm. um, but I think part of it is you know it's kind of like that old quote of like nobody sees themselves as broke, they everyone just sees themselves as like a temporarily embarrassed millionaire, <laughs> and. Like, I think why you see so many people who I think a lot of people think they are like much closer to living that like perfect ideal life that has seemingly been shattered Mm -hmm. than the reality that of, you know, somebody that is homeless or somebody that is like on the brink of society, something like that. When in reality, we're all way closer to those, you know, negative outcomes than we are being Jeff Bezos or, you know, just like a run of the mill you know, millionaire. Um, so I think a lot of people will be like, oh my God, that could happen to me. You know, it'd be like if I saw, you know, like, I don't know, like Beyonce lost her like <laughs> engagement ring. I'd be like, oh my God, that could happen to me. Like, <laughs> it's like, Taylor, all of your rings turn, all of your rings turn your fingers green. You do not need to worry. <laughs> you, won't, you won't have Beyonce's engagement. I, yeah. So it, it's something like that or, <laughs> you know, or like, I, and so I, I think part of that's where that comes from is like, everyone's like oh i see myself in this one it's like okay um and then i think like the idea of like how famous some serial killers get um and how they are like kind of humanized or like i don't really know the best word for it i think part of that is just one of those like oh if we can make it into something positive we don't have to think about the negative or like it's kind of like oh i'm gonna call like i'm gonna make fun of myself before you can make fun of me so it's like i'm gonna take try to take all the power i guess maybe away from this um but i i will say like i used to uh i used to stand up comedy and i had like an entire like like five minute bit about like how i thought ted bundy was hot which here's the thing objectively you know, you can make the case that he was handsome. <laughs> I'm, I'm not. I'm not saying that he is. I'm, listen, I have, I have matured past that and realized like that that's like grossly like insensitive to victims. And but it was like it was what was funny and people really liked it. And I think also that's just a, like another thing is just like you hear one person saying it and then it just like rolls on and on and then everybody's like, oh yeah, like I want to fuck Ted Bundy and it's like guys, we gotta we gotta take a break. <laughs> <laughs> These are jokes, people. Let me tell yeah, a few we, of them. We gotta we gotta stop watching Amy Schumer stand up special specials like <laughs> yeah like things are getting weird. <laughs> um, the whole Ted Bundy phenomenon I've always found real funny that he's like this this genius 
criminal that was able to outsmart and you know out handsome his victims when he's literally the basis of the buffalo bill character in silence of the lambs that mm-hmm. just kind of fooled women by saying that he had a broken arm and then hit him over the head like that's yeah. not using your suave personality to woo someone in your bedroom you beat someone over the head and then took them home and did horrible things to them yeah but we want to believe that these people are effing geniuses, which I, yeah. I've never really understood that fascination as well. What do you, why do you think that is? I think another part of that is that nobody wants to admit that, like, they got killed by this, like, kind of easy scam. It's like, it's almost like the phishing, like, emails they'll send out at work. Like, nobody ever wants to be the person that accidentally clicks on, like, the free gift card link at work. So it's like, it would be embarrassing, you know, I think to us, you know, so many people like think oh this could happen to me like i could be hunted down and like sex trafficked at target um and then they're like but it would literally take a genius to get me into that van and it's like you know i don't i don't think i don't think that's exactly how it's gonna go (laughs) for you to get in the van yeah is it gonna take one that has a sign that says like free puppies Listen, I have long said, and I will be so honest about this, um, I would absolutely accidentally join a cult. And I would stay there because I it took me too long to figure out it wasn't a cult. It would not, it would it wouldn't take a lot to fool me. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna be I'm gonna be what I'm gonna be very honest. Mm-hmm. It should be in a cult. It, not be, not because I wanted to. Look, not that's another show, but definitely there's always a true crime show about cults. And I yes. do find it fascinating that I'm seeing it before, because I'm from the Bay Area, I'm kind of fascinated by the People's Temple because that a lot of that happened in San Francisco mm-hmm. with Jim Jones. Um, so there's always a documentary about, I feel like every year that that mm-hmm. massacre happened, there's a documentary or there's some special about it. But now there's all these other cults that people are Nexium, and then there was like another sex cult in San Francisco. Um, I read about some crazy ones in Southern California and Hawaii. Yeah. Crazy sex cults. Like, the cult thing is something I'm like, word. <laughs> like I thought you guys all died off with the hippies. No, no, they're alive and well. Oh, oh. Um. <laughs> What impact, if any, does the media and entertainment industry have on our fascination with true crime, in your opinion? I think... How do I don't want to answer that? I, I think media has always like been at like the forefront of true crime. Um, even, you know, like... You see, like... Um, like a lot of sorry, I cannot I cannot form this thought. This is so embarrassing. <laughs> what I'm trying to say is that I think that newspapers and everything, I think that's where true crime like maybe kind of started. And I think we have like this innate thing that wants to know more. And I think newspapers see like that's what sells. Um, and I think that's why I see like I feel like every time I am just like flipping through a newspaper or like on, you know, like my local news channels um, page. It's all like these like gory true crime stories. And I think it's because that's what gets most clicks. Um, 
but I, I think they're always going to be linked because, you know, it is newsworthy at times, but then to what degree are we only getting information from the police? And I think that's where the media is tough on true crime. Um, if that made any sense, I don't know that it did. I'm so sorry. <laughs> I mean, you're not going to have the exact answer. This isn't like a, you know, a quiz for degree. Um, I, I I do want to get into how this affects the way we see the world. Yes. And you and I were having a conversation about how you had to stop watching and listening to true. You listen to true crime podcasts. I can't listen to people talk about true crime. I need to see poorly reenacted reenactments. Yeah. I need to hear. I need to hear Bill Curtis's voice. If I don't hear those two things, I'm just not interested. If, if Bill Curtis isn't narrating it, like that okay. man has to live forever. I'll I'll get the message in with the yoga ladies too. I'll <laughs> part-time see. yoga teacher. <laughs> A part-time yoga teacher. Part-time no yoga crystals. Teacher. No crystals. Okay. okay, okay. Um, but a lot of these stories definitely are about the innocence of victims, and sometimes there's a weird attempt at humanizing the killer there was a there was one that i did watch that bill curtis <laughs> didn't narrate because it's a newer it's a it's a newer case that happened in colorado mm-hmm. i can't think of the guy's name his name is chris something is it chris watts yes that literally broke my heart that was that is such a sad thing that happened what he did to his talk family. a little bit about that so chris Watts was married to a woman. I don't think it, I think it's Shanann yeah. Watts. Okay. Mm-hmm. I, I didn't want to say Shannon, like a hillbilly. Um, Shanann Watts and they had two daughters um, and Shanann was pregnant with their third and he annihilated his whole family and um, like disposed of his daughters. Like they were trash um, killed the mother of his children Um according to him so he could be with another woman um and it's that was that was kind of right around when i was like kind of trying to pull back a little bit from true crime because i have um i have like diagnosed ocd and um that was just it wasn't good for me to like be consuming that all the time and um and i just remember just like being just being overwhelmed with how sad it it is and how horrific the whole ordeal was. And then I, we kind of talked about, we touched on this a little bit earlier. And then like, when you hear Chris Watts, almost immediately the next thing after you hear like, oh, hey, he annihilated his whole family. Also, he gets hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of horny letters from women across the country a day. And it's so bizarre to me that, that is the case why do you think again why do you think before i ask this question in my in a band i was in with my ex we did a mm-hmm. video and the guy that directed that video made this crazy ass movie called the period so he was like it was about a woman with a never-ending period is <laughs> this movie uh, so, God, was so he was really into blood there was so much blood in that video but anyway he was he would like ask us like oh who do you who do you want to be in the video i have an idea for this girl she's really cool and 
she was in a relationship with some serial killer. I can't remember which one. And he's like, we should get her. And then we didn't end up getting the woman. I think she wanted mm-hmm. too much money. And I was just like, God, this is all just so bizarre. But what do you think it is about people that are attracted to serial killers? And not just women. There's also like men that have a kind of morbid fascination with these people as well. Almost like anti-heroes, like people that love to, to talk about Charles Manson. They they almost pull like whataboutisms about Charles Manson. Um, I saw a musician that I am a fan of, but he was wearing kind of one of those kind of ironic Richard Ramirez shirts. Mm-hmm. It's almost like we're, we're disconnected from the actual horrors of what happened. Like I, I think because they didn't put those kids on the stand for anyone that knows Richard Ramirez is the night stalker killed a bunch of people in, in LA and the San Francisco Bay area, but he also molested a bunch of children. Mm-hmm. He would let them go. And a few of the, they, they found a few kids that were willing to testify, but they didn't want to bring the kids on the stand. They're like, we got them for the murders. We don't really need to get them for the, the child molestation. Yeah. Um, so they didn't bring the kids on the stand. So that really never came to light in the trial that he was a serial child rapist. Jesus. Do you think when the two, the true totality of the crime comes to light, there's less fanfare. Do you think these people just like bad boys and these guys are the ultimate bad boys? I, you know, I will say, um, in regards to women being attracted to like, to be attracted to serial killers, I don't know if it's just like a weird, I I don't know, just if I love them, they won't hurt me situation. I, I don't, I don't really know. I'm not, I, I look at Chris Watts. I just see like a dude I graduated from high school with um, has kind of the same look, just to be honest. Um, but I do think maybe sometimes just like something in people's brains just flip and they're like, I have to, I have to know everything about this person. Um, I actually, I have a friend, it's not like a romantic um, pen pal situation, um, but he exchanges, <laughs> I can't, I'm so sorry to my friend who's like business I'm airing out. Hey, they don't, we don't know who that friend is. You don't. Sarah, um, coming at you. We don't know who you are. <laughs> it's actually, it's a man. Oh, Timothy. Timothy. Yeah, it's you, buddy. Um, (laughs) But he exchanges letters with a woman um, in Texas that is on. I don't know if it's like death row or just like life without parole, but he exchanges letters with her. um, And it's he's just like I asked him about it. And he said it's just like he knows to say he's just like it's like I just I want to know and I want to like know what kind of person does this? And I think at the root of a lot of true crime is I think a lot of people couldn't, um, I, I think most people can't imagine what it would be like to take somebody's life and enjoy doing it. And so I think there's just like this thing in our brain. that's just like, we can't comprehend it. So we're trying to understand it. And I also think a big part of true crime is that, um, we all love gossip, whether we'll admit it or not. I'm a terrible gossip. I love to gossip. I love to know things that I shouldn't know. Um, and I think I think that drives a lot of it as well. I think it drives that fascination. And I think um, at least where I'm from, I, am, I assume this is like this in everywhere, but we're like a very like story-driven culture. And 
you know, it's like, I remember when I was a kid, I would go to the sale bar with my papa. And um, like we would sit, we would like sit at the sit at the sale barn, and like him and his buddies would like talk about what was going on in the town, and you know who had died, and who had died of what, and you know if there was like a there was like a big true crime, like somebody robbed the bank or like you know like stole an ATM or something. Mm. Oh, we talked about it the whole time. We we nailed down suspects, motives, whatever. Um, and so I think I think you know there's just it's something easy to talk about. Maybe I don't know. During the shelter in place in 2020, a lot of these true crime projects, which were already popular, but they definitely blew up bigger. A lot of shows blew up bigger mm-hmm. during 2020. Um, a lot of people started podcasts. Some of them aren't around today. No. <laughs> As the late Craig Mack said, you won't be around next year. A rap's too severe. Your flavor in here. Uh, but seriously. Mm-hmm. This stuff really blows up when people's downtime. Mm-hmm. Um, it's still popular. It's not like it fell off. A lot of things fell off. To your point, a lot of things fell off mm-hmm. when we were able to get back out and and be a part of society again. But there's still this fascination with this genre that I think really colors the way we see the world. It definitely colors the way we see the justice system. Now, you... Again, I want to bring this up again. Mm-hmm. You, you were saying when we were having our phone conversation that you felt that you had to like kind of disassociate from it for a while because it was depressing you. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a person in the chat that says they're triggered by by propaganda and, and those murder shows, feeling that uh, our lives getting less valued. Um, again, I think if you watch those shows, they kind of all, most of them end in the same way, which is that the crime is committed by someone that they knew personally mm-hmm. rarely just you know joe random um so that's very different than i guess I don't know, some serial killer at large uh why did you feel you had to disconnect from it what, was it just depressing you or was um, it making you look at everybody skeptically it was making me look at everybody skeptically and i'm a big believer in that like you know we should all like band together with our community um, and that our local, like your local, like people around you, like those are the people that can help you. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't think it's good to like automatically think, you know, those negative things. Um, also um, this was, I, uh, I struggled with it my whole life, but I officially had gotten diagnosed with OCD and um, I was talking to my therapist about like, my day look like and i was telling her well i work at that time i was working like 12 hours a day and it's like and i'm just listening to podcasts the whole time because like i'm not having any social interaction i live alone and she was asking me she was like oh well what kind of podcasts do you listen to and i was like oh yeah listen to a lot of murder podcasts and she's like oh hey do you think maybe this is why you feel unsafe in your home and um are it you keep having these like vivid um you know like scenes in your head that of somebody breaking in and murdering you and i was like oh damn i don't know could they be connected um (laughs) (laughs) and i will tell you like literally within a week of like saying hey like i am not going to like consume this i i felt better and i'm not saying if you consume true crime that you need to stop for me it was just again for my um 
for my mental health. But then also I had a really, um, I had an interesting conversation with a friend and I actually asked her for permission to share this. Um, um, that she, uh, one of her family members that she was really, really close with, um, was like brutally murdered. It was horrific. And, um, it, it, she, she describes it as like the worst thing that could ever happen to a family and that like it it's she just she like i can't even convey the grief um that had just been like ripped into their family and a true crime podcast um covered um the murder and was making like little tee hee ha ha jokes and she talked about how like dehumanizing it felt for family members mm. and how awful it felt that like people were consuming the worst thing that is ever going to happen to them um as like entertainment and laughing and when she's like and you know like i struggle to like be able even able to move on no i'm never going to see them again Oof. and you know hearing that perspective um i was like wow um and so that just like i think made me like evaluate my relationship with a lot of media and i think you can be critical of media um, and still listen to it. Um, I am a Taylor Swift fan. I have to be critical of, uh, <laughs> <laughs> of things all the time, but I can still enjoy it. Um, and I think that is uh, what I have a difficulty with a lot of true crime these days is something somebody mentioned down below um, is the copaganda. Um, because a lot of times where they are pulling their information from are from local newspapers, from police reports, from court documents, um, which are typically going to tell the side of the police. Um, and so you're never really, you never really are, you never really know what the full story is. And I don't know, it's just like, is that something that I want to consume as entertainment right now? Well let, well, let me ask this question. Then. Yeah. There's a show uh, about murderers. Mm -hmm. And it's literally people that are in prison they're talking from behind the glass and they're mm -hmm. talking about the crime or crimes that got them in prison mm -hmm. is that better or is that worse or does that speak more to a degradation of society that we, we kind of have to consume so much pain as entertainment yeah i think shows like that i think a lot of those appeal to like our i think a lot of at least americans u.s americans um we we're very carceral like even sometimes like when i'm joking like i will just like feel it like just like pop out and i don't like actually mean it but it's like a thought in my head of like the other day i said that somebody should go to prison for life mm -hmm. for life mm -hmm. because they were blocking traffic and i'm just like it can't be that serious yeah. But and that's like obviously that's a joke and it's like a little bit of a you know hyperbole, but I think like that I think that is what drives a lot of us to watch us as we feel like very carceral and I think those shows in particular we can be like okay hey what I'm about to learn about I already know that the bad guy is being punished mm -hmm. so it's like when we see like we know they're behind bars this can't happen to me and so I think sometimes that makes people feel better. I, do you think people feel better that the bad guy is punished? I think people f think they will feel better when the bad guy is punished. Hmm. 
Which I, is interesting because if you've been a victim of violent I, crime, oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. Go okay. Ahead. And I want that as a very important caveat. And what I mean by that is I think people who are like outside of the situation mm-hmm. think they will feel better knowing that somebody got electrocuted over this um, mm-hmm. or knowing now from a victim's perspective, I, I can't, I can't speak to that, but um but yeah, I think a lot of people think they will feel better knowing that this person, you know, was lethally injected. Like, you know, you know, like Timothy McVeigh, I think is a good, like. Oh, wow. Yeah. Like, yeah. I think like that's, you know, I think people think like, oh, all of this hurt that we all feel around the Oklahoma City bombing. Mm-hmm. Um, I it, it, it would go away. Because I remember when he was executed and I remember like my parents being excited about it. Um, and. I think that's another thing that I think true crime has done to us is um, I think it has made us forget that how like final the death penalty is. (laughs) Oh, I mean, let's talk about Timothy McVeigh for a second and talk about how American made he is. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, He kind of comes to be in a time where a lot of people are anti state Mm -hmm. and we don't really like a left in the sense of the way we see ourselves now. Um, and he hung out and watched uh, Waco, mm-hmm. which is a pretty tragic miscarriage of justice. Um, it's the state trying to flex this muscle domestically. So we're seeing for the first time, maybe mm, I shouldn't say the first time he had the move bombing, but we're seeing in live time for a lot of people, maybe it's the first time that they're they're seeing this, you know, the state um, showing, you know, just kind of toppling these people that didn't bother anybody. They stockpiled some weapons. Mm-hmm. They didn't bother anybody. Right. Yeah. Oh, and, I agree. And uh, he also was reading some horrible literature at the same time too. Right. But mm-hmm. this kind of showed him that, you know, the, America has to be stopped. The state has to be stopped. Um, his solution was extremely gruesome, but mm-hmm. he is a homegrown terrorist. Like domestic terrorist. Domestic. If there's ever a definition of quote unquote domestic terror, and you know, that guy literally just saw the state act a damn fool to a bunch of regular ass people. Those guys weren't trained in that house Mm-mm. anything more than like target shooting they didn't understand position i think it took a couple days for like six soldiers to get position on that house yeah i think so so you know to sit there and watch that whole thing happen mm-hmm. you know he definitely got uh radicalized by seeing u.s state violence and as tragic as Oklahoma city was, it was, it felt like it was real quick for them to put him to death. Like how long? Did it, it, wasn't, it wasn't, it long wasn't enough. long. I mean, like in the sense of like, Hey, we're going to run some appeals and make sure this person has like due process. Um, and also just like, while we're kind of on that, while you're looking it up, um, I think that's another thing that I have seen in the rise of true crime is like the TikTok girlies, Mm-hmm. Um, not just the girlies. I say that 
yeah. the people that cover true crime on TikTok, that's the right way to say it. Um, they seem they they get very mad when um suspects innocent until proven guilty, whether they clearly did it or not. Um they get very mad when they will re like refuse to talk to the cops or basically anything that they're due under the law. Like I saw somebody the other day on Twitter, which is not a great place to be engaging in legal discourse. Um, but it was about, it was just some horrific crime that happened. And this person um, had a really good lawyer and somebody was like, he doesn't like he doesn't deserve a good lawyer and i'm like yes he does even if he's just fucking scumbag <laughs> and it's it it seems that we um we seem to be like okay well like if we think they're if we think they're guilty because we've seen some tiktoks on it and we've solved it um put them to death and it's like hey dogs we can't we can't do that um and i think that's been a really interesting thing that i've seen probably like the last like three or four years um yeah, there's the oversimplification of narratives in true crime is is my big problem, and, yeah. and kind of the portrayal of the justice system is one where police are smart. Number one, <laughs> I have a huge problem with that. Yeah. Um, but bigger than that, I think there's things that kind of hide in plain sight, and I, I believe I mentioned this on the last show that you were on, and I'll mention it again because I definitely want to hammer this home. Mm -hmm. uh, in the Richard Ramirez four-part series on Netflix, the police can't figure out who, what, where he is. Mm -mm. It isn't until they catch his cousin, I forget for what, and they beat him up. They admit to beating him up. Mm -hmm. that they find out who he is and you get a very very small tidbit of of his life and kind of the the dark turmoil that was in his life as well i believe he witnessed a, a uncle a cousin kill someone in front yeah. of him so you know he didn't have a wonderful life and was just born evil um but we glant we gloss over that and that series is really focused on crack police work. But I watched it the first time and I watched it again because I was like, did I miss that? And I yeah. watched it again to kind of like, did I, am I missing something here? And it is, it's just all about crack police work. And these guys were not good. No. And most cops, it's, as we were reading about true crime for this, we're also reading about kind of the origins of these stories especially in the, in the uh, 19th century about crime and how some people that wrote these stories also were criminals and they were on the forefront of forensic science. And true crime does this thing with forensics oh, where Lord. it is the end-all be-all of science. It's all about fingerprints. It's all about DNA. And once they have that, then, hey, I know it's it's all done. So when people get put into jury pools and you hear forensic evidence, the forensic evidence that was coming out in the, and I'm not saying I know this person's guilty or innocent, just throwing this out there. Okay. In the Scott Peterson trial. I would love to have this conversation with you off air. About <laughs> Scott Peterson. <laughs> the cadaver dogs. That never hit. Scott Peterson, I actually have a whole part. I don't know if we're going to include it in kayfabe. We're, we're mm -hmm. going to go over the edit this weekend. 
about the Scott Peterson trial and how that was portrayed and kind of the miscarriage of justice that is the rise of Nancy Grace during that trial and the way that evidence was getting through. I watched that trial religiously because a those people if you've watched the A&E documentary on it since the one from 2018 those were all the news people I watched every morning mm-hmm. in the bay area and that happened a couple hours south from me the more you find out about that area like it's not as pristine as actually was kind of a bad neighborhood they lived in mm-hmm. um the cadaver dogs allegedly hit on her scent but from the DA's case, he would have taken her body, put it in a car, drove that car down a pier, then put it in a boat. And they're like, yeah, the dog, it's like the dog smelled her body <laughs> in the car. What I tell people um, about that case in particular now, again, I'm nobody um, is that I don't know if Scott Peterson is innocent or guilty. Yeah. Um, because I don't know. Um, what I do know is I don't think that they had enough evidence to convict him beyond a reasonable doubt, which is what is in our constitution. Um, you know, that that's, those are the rules that we all agree to. Um, so that's, uh, that's where I've always been with it. Um, because I kind of had a similar being like, Oh, this is that's what that really was because like i was a little bit younger like when that was all happening and i just i to be fair i saw all of it on fox news um (laughs) i'm I'm not i'm and you know what i taylor Mm -hmm. i can't begrudge you because i don't know too many people that actually watch a trial because when you do watch a trial i remember court tv when it started because my mom open court baby oh, oh bless her soul she watched court tv so much back in the day and there's always a commentator it's like sports oh yeah so you can't even really watch the whole trial without someone commentating and trying to explain to you what's going on and if you've ever been in jury for a hardcore murder trial you don't understand a lot of the stuff people are talking about you really don't they had um open court that (laughs) show that showed on the uh local access channel that we were able to get off the antenna um where i grew up in the ozarks in arkansas and um they would air open court um and we got to see my brother on there one time jesus christ (laughs) but yeah um we used to watch open court my meemaw all the time was it something stupid like putting a firecracker up a local no he was not he was not uh putting firecrackers in anybody um <laughs> it was even dumber than that um yeah, DUI. even better um that came peeing. later okay he, he was peeing off the bridge or something i will tell you <laughs> <laughs> somebody said convicted of cow tipping <laughs> Um, no, he got caught smashing mailboxes and the mailbox that he smashed was the county judges. (laughs) (laughs) That is redneck bullshit 101. Baby, I have my Ozarks bona fides. I I can show you my card anytime you need to see it. God, that is like, why? 
But what is that what your parents said? They're just like, why did you do that? I, they were like, well, Daniel, I wasn't very smart of you now, was it? <laughs> I couldn't even, at that point, you're so mad that you can't even get mad. It was so funny. And um, uh, my dad uh, went to court with him. because He was like I, 18 or 19. I mean, old enough to know better. He was not like a kid. He was a full adult. Mm -hmm. Um. And my dad went to court with him and he's like, well, we know whose docket you won't be on because they had to go like a county over because obviously the county judge couldn't like proceed over this. And it's not like he doesn't know that judge. <laughs> exactly. You give this Daniel Hearn the goddamn. Yeah. <laughs> All the time you can give is smash my mailbox. Mm -hmm. And my jet magazine all over the highway. <laughs> I'm just incredible work. I it was not hard for me to be the favorite child. <laughs> just not be Daniel. <laughs> just not get caught drinking Budweiser in homeroom. I mean literally. <laughs> That's who should have been on the show. I got a true crime for you. You know, he's real into QAnon right now. I don't uh <laughs> QAnon got me. I don't even want to say the name. It got me pulled for a week. It got this whole channel down for a I'm week. I'm so sorry. A I'm whole in, week. I'm in it in a nice way. <laughs> I've also. <laughs> I I can't. I I I dare not utter. It's like Candyman. You know, you say it three times, and bam, your channel's gone. <laughs> He's also really into motorcycles right now. Um. No helmet, of course. That doesn't, you know, good for him because <laughs> don't look like a fucking moron riding around with a helmet on. Yeah. Out there helmet off. You're on a dirt bike anyway. Fuck it. Right? At this point, I, it'll knock some sense into him. I mean, I, we can't, we can't go any lower, you know? <laughs> I definitely want to meet this gentleman. Okay. Oh, you, you made it sound like that's not a good thing. I just don't recommend that anybody spend any time with him. I mean, <laughs> I mean, yeah. Do you hear want to hear like the finer points of like Sublime's discography? Um, oh, you know what yep. you guys could talk about though. Yep. He is a enormous Metallica fan. Loves Metallica. I still want to hear about the Sublime stories. You say no more, fam, as the young people say. Yeah. <laughs> You've said nothing but a word. Now I'm just gonna sit there fascinated. Like, tell me more. Well, no, I he just, you know, um those it is the 40 ounce to freedom. Truly. Um, Sublime's not my thing, um, personally. Mm -hmm. Um, it's really his thing, though. Um, I one I will say one nice thing about him is he has the most varied music taste of anybody I've ever met. Um, the last time I saw him, um, he was working on his truck in our parents' front yard. <laughs> <laughs> shirt on or off um i'm you know i think he might it was i think it would have been like last december so he probably okay, had a shirt, so he had shirt on i think he probably had a shirt on um and we go from like <laughs> hank senior to like metallica to smashing pumpkins to like big and rich to lincoln park and i'm just like are you just playing every cd that you have i i 
again, say no more. Mm-hmm. I'm supposed to be doing a book thing in Oklahoma. Where in Oklahoma? I'm telling you. Oh, not going to tell me. Okay. <laughs> oh, Tulsa. You know I live like an hour and a half away from Tulsa, right? I don't know. Okay, I, well, I'm trying to figure out where every... It's been so long since I drove across the country, and that's a good thing, that I don't remember everything about where everywhere is. Well, I would assume that you would know where everything is from Fayetteville. <laughs> that's still one of the scariest shows I ever played. <laughs> I mean, it ended up being fine, but uh, just when the navigation's like, we still got to keep going on this dirt road to this yep. shack <laughs> in the what? middle of in the town. Middle of the woods. Yeah. R.I.P. Backspace. Um, I gotta, I'd get a oh. I'd get a tetanus shot because a nail went straight through my shoe one time. Oh, well, I don't doubt it because I was like, I think this is an old juke joint. <laughs> I think it might have. I don't know what Backspace used to be. Backspace was a quintessential. I mean, textbook definition, DIY space in yeah. Fayetteville. Um, none weirder. Um, m- I miss it. And uh, I think we should all protect DIY spaces. I think that's a... Side uh, note. Yeah, side note. All the time. I miss all those spaces. Those spaces where you're going to hear the craziest, coolest music. You're going to always see original lineups. Protect DIY spaces at all costs. Because large corporate interests have infiltrated all the small spaces they don't really give a damn if those things go away a lot of them get turned into apartments especially where i'm from san francisco bay area so many cool that's literally that's literally what's happening to backspace (laughs) they're turning it into student housing Mm. all right moving on (laughs) i don't want to be i don't want to make i don't want to be too angry um (laughs) how is the internet affecting the way we see true crime are they helping it, hurting it? Are they giving more context to it? I mean, there was a case recently. I mean, I think this happened maybe about 10 years ago where a young lady died. They found her in a water tower Oh yeah, in, in the Cecil Hotel of, of uh, Los Angeles, which mm-hmm. I th- think the last I read about the Cecil, which was earlier this year, it still hadn't been filled, but they turned the Cecil into housing for the unhoused. That was going to be like, you know, permanent supportive housing with services and stuff inside because it already had so much for you know, people that were low income, quote unquote. Um, and they just decided to turn that whole thing during the shelter in place. But before that happened, it was a hotel um, slash flop house. And in the middle of downtown L.A., a young lady was staying there. She was severely bipolar. Um, a video had surfaced of her uh, on an elevator and she kind of looks like she's hiding from something. She like peeks her head around the corner and, and hides and it looks like there's a ghost chasing her or something. And it became this big whodunit. The internet just took off. And there's other cases where the internet tried to be sleuths and got people hurt, but they ended up kind of destroying the life of one guy because mm-hmm. they, you know, these internet sleuths that are only getting yay this much information about a case, um, thought that a guy that was a black metal recording artist from Mexico had killed her because he had some songs about death, like any other good metal musician would have, right? <laughs> and uh, and he did the whole face paint thing, you know, evil. But the guy, probably a vegan. Um, 
And so, and it, it, it he stopped doing music because he had got all this hate because people said this is the guy that that killed Homegirl, and you know eventually police find out how it happened. the The top of the water tank was open because the maintenance staff just assumed like who the fuck would walk in here and try to take a dip. Yeah. Um. And uh, you know, case closed, but no one really apologized. And there's another there's another series that came out a few years back called Don't Mess with Cats, where someone, I couldn't watch it. Where someone had killed some cats, but they also killed a person. Mm-hmm. And again, they went after the wrong guy and he committed suicide. So has how does the internet affect all this stuff as well, in your opinion? Somebody, and I can't remember who, I'm so sorry. Um okay. in the comments, I think summed it up the best and they says when has the internet helped with anything <laughs> um i found the comment it's right here um that is, i think that uh i think that that's probably like the, my ultimate view on it is that um i wish we could just go back to just like playing games on the internet um i don't a lot of a lot of things get spun out and um uh, into like these big huge conspiracy theories and like end up ruining people's lives because like just because somebody is a sketchy person like doesn't always mean that they've like fucking killed somebody um or maybe they look different or whatever it is and people will like latch onto these theories and another this is an insane comparison but another place that i see this is um uh, like with Taylor Swift fan conspiracies. <laughs> Ta- like, about what? Oh my God. Who knows what it is that day? Um, okay. uh, but you know, like it'll, you know, a lot of times it's like surrounding like, Oh, is an album going to drop or whatever. But like, you just see these people, they'll like get like one piece of misinformation and it'll spin out into this whole thing. And I think you see that a lot with true crime. And you know, like you said, like there was like that huge, like Netflix series that like all but said, hey this guy did it he killed elisa lamb um which again in her death no matter what happened like that is tragic like that was she had parents that loved her and she you know was going through it haven't we all and we don't we don't need to ruin somebody else's life and and i think sometimes we're stuck in this like weird position of knowing that likely the police aren't going to do their job um <laughs> don't read the <laughs> I didn't mean to throw you off. Don't read that. <laughs> don't read that. Um okay. Um <laughs> for those listening but, on the audio only, uh, there's a comment that said I just want to watch a Chiefs game without Taylor Swift in it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just happy that she is dating someone on the Chiefs because she looks so good in red. And all that I care, she's having fun. I don't really care what she's doing. I want to listen to the music. Don't let the comments derail anyway, you. derail you. Okay, listen, but I just I love her so much. Anyway, um, what were we even talking about? No. I'm yeah, kidding. see, sorry. Um the internet. Um, and I I think we're stuck in like this weird space of, you know, like a lot of times we talk about like that the um that the police aren't going to do their job and they're not going to investigate this properly. And like, 
uh, or they may try to pin it on someone that didn't do it or or whatever it is. And so it's like, oh, like, do we need people on the internet to dig up these cases? Because there have been some successful, I can't, of course, I can't think of one right now, but like there have been <laughs> some successful cases of like people on the internet, like actually digging into something and saying, no, um, this is what happened. Like the police need to investigate this. Um, and but then also being like, hey, we don't have access to all of the information. Um, a lot of a lot of people that are like talking about this aren't even in the same town. Um, or, you know, there's information that hasn't been released to us that can completely alter our perception of like the idea of everything that's going on. And then we end up again with like, I think there's that rush to judgment, or the rush to lock someone away forever and ever. Um and I think that's where the internet, at least for true crime, is not good. I mean, you know, in closing, I mean, my problem with the genre, and it's a genre that I've, I've definitely watched. I've, sadly, I've seen people that I know on there or I've mm-hmm. met um, on there, which is incredibly unsettling. Um, but ultimately, it paints a certain picture, in my opinion, of what justice looks like. Mm-hmm. Because one of the main narratives, especially in, in the uh, cold case shows, which most of these shows we talk about are cold case shows, right? Mm-hmm. And we can even look at kind of an uptick in true crime in the 70s with 60 Minutes, which was trying to be a more evergreen show because news, no one goes back to watch the news from four years ago unless you're like a history student. Yeah. Um, so they wanted to have more evergreen topics and some of those were like, you know, kind of famous murderers and also celebrity gossip, but, um, 2020 dateline, a lot of these shows dealt with, you know, know, kind of big time famous, famous murder cases. And one of the continuous themes of these things is the idea around, we must get justice for the victim. Um, we're talking about justice for a deceased person first and foremost Mm -hmm. and it's like well what does that look like and how does putting this person in an electric chair or under the jail for a million years um, bring about justice because as someone that has had a family member murdered Mm -hmm. um, it doesn't change the way i feel when i go out into the world you know what i mean Mm -hmm. it's not safer now because one person is gone yeah um, the conditions and what made said person still exists. But this idea around justice, I think, is a problem. I also think there's a massive problem with the idea around the way um, law enforcement functions. Um, mm-hmm. These things also kind of uh, wash the legacy of, uh, of police interrogation as police torture. Um, again, if you are a watcher of true crime, and I've said this on the show, I'll say it again. Um, if you watch something like what happened to the Central Park Five, the same people involved with the Central Park Five, the same tactics they used against those young men, they used in the preppy murder. Mm-hmm. That person actually did commit a crime. So they've been using that to kind of you know, clean their, launder their legacy as well because they lost a lot when the central park five story or the movie hit when they see us yeah um which kind of relitigated that case for people in a different way even though that came out i think a few years after their exoneration 
I think so. Yeah. Um, and and I think that's it's important to really understand how criminal justice functions, and I don't think we really do understand that. Number one. And number two, I think this is important because we're heading into an election season. And I'm not just talking about for president. I'm mm -hmm. talking about for your sheriff, um, for your district attorney, for your mayor, city council members, et cetera. If you live in a major metropolitan area, probably one of the bigger issues that people are going to be talking about is crime and an uptick in crime. Mm -hmm. And in 2020, cities burned all over the United States in the name of George Floyd, in the name of defunding police departments. That never happened. The conditions that created people like George Floyd still exist. Mm -hmm. Not too much has gotten better. There are some municipalities that did, in fact, um, move money around in their police department budgets to hire mental health professionals to go out to calls that were nonviolent in nature and they're doing better but that's not it hasn't been the antidote uh, across the country as even people that did call for defunding of police in places like oakland definitely asked the city to not fire police officers because the crime rates were so high so i think we have to not get brainwashed and fall down those dark rabbit holes like you found yourself falling down mm -hmm. with some of these stories because the the narrative around crime is still there um, and it's still frightening. Absolutely. That being said, we're going to head into the champagne room where Taylor said she was down to open up the phone lines. Yeah. I'm excited, y'all. So... Last time you were here, we actually got someone that was at the Murtaugh trial. Mm-hmm. Oof. That was a weird fucking case. That is. That is some low-end, low-land, like, I just, <laughs> I mean, you just, you hear, you're just, you know, just these nicknames. I'm like, okay, let's do it. It, it was incredible listening to all of them talk about this case. I loved it. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're going to be in the champagne room. If you guys are patrons, the link is already up. If you want to join us, if you want to call in, if you want to say, you guys are wrong, call in and definitely tell me I'm wrong. I will listen to you. I'd rather you call in than cowardly write a comment. You haven't. You have an opportunity to have your voice be heard. I'm going to request only praise and admiration. I don't. I don't want to be challenged. <laughs> <laughs> I'm here for it. I'm here for it. Okay. I'm always looking for trouble. And on that note, we are out. <laughs>